Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us for episode number six as we continue our quest for historical light. Now a little disclaimer right off top before we get started here. As you may hear, my voice is not quite with me tonight, and I do apologize. It's unfortunately been bothering me the last few days and has been going in and out on me all day, so hopefully I can make it through the episode without too terrible much of a distraction. So just bear with me. As they say, the show must go on. Just ask for a little bit of uh, understanding during tonight's episode. With that said, today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out yet, please do so today at MasonicRevival.com. You'll find some wonderful quality merchandise there from bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, and so much more. Even can get some custom work done if you contact them. If you need that custom tie or lapel pin for your lodge, they are definitely the people you want to talk to. Top quality work there. And also while you're at it, don't forget to use our promo code. They hooked us up with a promo code HLIGHT, all one word, HLIGHT, and that will get you free shipping on your entire order. So make sure you go back as much as you want because the shipping is on the house. So make sure you take advantage of that right after today's episode. Jump over to MasonicRevival.com, put in an order on some great quality merchandise, and get free shipping while you're at it. You just can't go wrong. Now, if you would like to personally uh, support the efforts here at Historical Light, we always appreciate that, and you can do so through our website. In the top menu, click on Support Us, and then click on Donate. Uh, there you have the ability to securely give through PayPal. Everything received does 100% go back into the show. Uh, nothing is kept for personal benefit. So that will be offsetting the cost of website hosting, audio podcast hosting, um, equipment upkeep and upgrades, and to keep us expanding here in the future. So we definitely appreciate all the support given and use it wisely. Now, we'll jump into today's show by starting off with our friends over at masonrytoday.com. So let's jump over and see what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, Harry Cohn, American film mogul, passes away in 1958. Cohn was born in New York City, New York, July 23, 1891. As a young man, Cohn worked as a streetcar conductor and a promoter of a sheet music printer. He would eventually join his brother Jack working at Universal Studios. In 1919, Cohn and his brother Jack left Universal and joined Joe Brandt. The three men founded CBC Film Sales Corporation. The CBC stood for Cohn, Brandt, and Cohn. 
because of the low uh, low budget nature of the films being turned out by the studio, movie industry insiders began referring to the studio as corned beef and cabbage. Cohn headed to Hollywood to manage the film production side, while his brother Jack stayed in New York City to fan- handle the finances. Brant would eventually sell his third of the studio to Harry Cohn, in part because of the stress of dealing with the Cohn brothers, who would often fight and leave Brant in the middle. Shortly before the sale uh, to Cohn, it was said that the company was renamed to Columbia Pictures Corporation. After Cohn took over the studio, most of the movies produced were at that time Action Fair, starring Jack Holt. Unfortunately, the studio was unable to shake its poverty row image until 1934, when the comedy It Happened on One Night swept the Oscars. Movie theater owners were then willing to take a chance on Columbia Pictures. Cohn passed away February 27, 1958, from a heart attack. It said that his funeral was very well attended. Cohn was also a member of Pacific Masonic Lodge, number 233, in New York City, New York. So thank you again to our friends at MasonryToday.com for another great piece. Uh, Check them out at their website and subscribe to them on social media so you can keep up with that great Masonic history they release on a daily basis. Now, I'm really excited. We have a great interview featured today with Brother Jason Richards. He is the Worshipful Master of Acacia Lodge No. 16 in Clifton, Virginia. I'm sure you'll recognize him. He's also co-host of another popular Masonic show, The Masonic Roundtable. Now, we had a chance to sit down with Brother Richards recently and go over an epic history of a past brother of his lodge. Uh, Not only that, we touched on uh, preserving and recovering history within all of our lodges and the importance of that. Brother Richards has a deep passion for history in general, definite focus in Masonic history, uh, so I deeply connect with him on that point. He's a great guy, and I really enjoyed today's interview. So without further ado, let's jump in, and I hope you guys enjoy as well. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're extremely excited to have on the show today, worshipful brother Jason Richards. I want to thank you so much for taking time out to uh, to meet with us today. And if you wouldn't mind, I'll hand it over to you if you can go ahead and further introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, thanks, Alex. I am super excited to be here with you all today. Uh, big fan of the show. Uh, my name is uh, Worshipful Brother Jason Richards. I'm the Worshipful Master of Acacia Lodge Number 16 in Clifton, Virginia. Also a member of the Colonial Lodge Number 1821 in Washington, D.C. That's an academic lodge uh, that has an affinity to the George Washington University, where I did my master's work. I've been a Mason for just shy of five years now. I was um, Raised in March of 2012 at Acacia Lodge. This is my mother lodge. It's actually uh, where we are today. And uh, very interested in in masonry uh, from an early age just because my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were all masons. And um, got into it uh, because a friend at work was a Mason, and he was uh, kind enough to, to take me under his wing. He was a member here at Acacia, so uh, got in uh, through through that way and just found uh, a whole wealth of, uh, of brotherhood and information and really, really cool stuff, and I haven't uh, looked back since. I'm the host of, or one of the hosts of the YouTube show and podcast, The Masonic Roundtable, and I do Masonic writing 
for the Midnight Freemasons as well as my my own blog, which has woefully been neglected, called the Two Foot Ruler Masonry in Plain Language. And I I do presentations and try to contribute to the volume of Masonic historical knowledge wherever I can. Well, I would say you, you do exactly that. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. And I got to say, you're definitely one of my mentors um, coming into this uh, side of Masonry. So I appreciate everything you do and all the efforts that you put into the craft. No, thank you very much, Alex. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Well, everyone knows here on Historical Light, one of the main things we like to touch on is Masonic history in general, um, preserving that history and recovering that history in uh, whatever fashion it may have been lost over the years. Um, Brother Richards is bringing an awesome story today about a uh, past brother of his lodge that had some really cool historical relevance to it. Uh, brother Richards, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started, just need to, to say two quick things. Uh, first, you know, there's a disclaimer I need to make, which is, you know, the what I'm talking about here is really my own opinion. It, it doesn't reflect any positions of the Grand Lodge of Virginia or Acacia Lodge in general, even though I am the master of Acacia Lodge. Uh, so I'm, I'm really speaking to you from my own research, my own opinion. And so please, please take it as that. And then I really need to give a special thank you to an honorary member of my lodge, a mentor of mine, Brother William Bombach. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about him specifically with his efforts to preserve the story that I'm going to tell you today. And he really has been one of the main folks to um, tell everybody about this story. And he is the reason that we have this cherished piece of, of Masonic history uh, to talk about and to reflect on today. So that piece of Masonic history is, uh, is really neat. And it deals with Freemasons and one particular Freemason who perished on the Royal Mail ship Titanic. So... Wanted to talk a little bit about that today, and specifically, you know, who he was, uh, his refusal to to abandon his duty. He's really a hometown hero in the community and and in the lodge uh, because he sacrificed his life to to his craft and his duty. And talk a little bit about the impact that that story has has had, especially within the last decade on. Uh, not only the Clifton community, but his hometown community, as well as uh, several Grand Lodges to include Maryland and Virginia. So his name was Oscar Scott Woody, and he was one of five Seapost clerks uh, assigned to the RMS Titanic. He was one of three Americans and, and two Englishmen who were the male clerks uh, who were charged with sorting the mail and distributing the mail and making sure that uh, as soon as the RMS Titanic got into port in New York City, that that mail was ready to to go out and be distributed to wherever it needed to go. And it's, uh, it was actually a really important part of the Titanic's duties uh, being a royal mail ship. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So um, these guys were, were the best of the best as far as postal clerks were concerned. It was a very coveted gig, and they took their duties very seriously, as, as we're going to see. So the, the Americans, as far as the postal clerks were, were concerned, were John Starmarch, who was kind of the oldest of the bunch, um, William Logan Gwynn, 
who was originally actually assigned to the SS Philadelphia, but requested an earlier voyage on the Titanic because his wife was ill in America. And of course, that, that didn't work out so well for him. And then Oscar Scott Woody was, was the third American, and he was actually a, a member of Acacia Lodge number 16 here, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to show his dues card in a little bit. And then the two Englishmen were John Richard Jago Smith and James Bertram Williamson. They, they didn't have... Uh, families per se, they were they were bachelors, but they did financially support their siblings and aging parents through their their sea post uh, clerkmanship. So as far as Oscar Scott Woody is concerned, just a little bit of background on on who he was. There's actually a, you know as I was doing research and and really springboarding off of William Bombach's research quite a bit here. You, you find really interesting things when you, when you go into history because you have inherent limits of, of historical knowledge. And you know, one of those limits is imperfect information. So there's actually debate as to when Oscar Scott Woody was even born. Uh, most of the articles that, that we know of today say that he was born April 15, 1868. However, we do know from his census records as well as his marriage certificate that he was born 1871 instead. Uh, so most accounts that you'll read say that he perished on his 44th birthday. I actually think it was his 41st birthday because I give a little more credence to uh, the census and marriage certificate uh, veracity of information than I do the newspapers that reported out his death, which is where I believe we got the 1868 year from. So just something interesting to think about when you're going through your lodge history or trying to, to dig up information about Masonic figures, just be, be aware that you're going to come into a lot of contradictory information. Indeed. I know uh, personally I, I've run into that just with doing uh, research on my lodge's history in general. Um, finding the charter date has been listed multiple different years through multiple different sources. So I have to refer to the actual charter itself and say, okay, this I can trust, not all these other sources. Yep. And that's, you know, whereas historian, as historians, there are very few things that, that we can actually pinpoint for certain. So it's, it's yeah. all, well, you know, this is, this is highly likely, however, there's this alternative thing. So it just, I, I love being a historian. I did my, my undergrad in history. So, it, you know, doing stuff like this is just, you know, absolutely fantastic. Um, so, of course, uh, Oscar Scott Woody was a sea clerk on the RMS Titanic. Uh, he had worked uh, in the railway mail, mail service here in the States for 15 years, actually running mail trains between Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, his home near his hometown of Roxboro, and Washington, D.C. So he actually had a, had a vacation home here in Clifton, which is a suburb of of Washington, D.C., and he uh, he lived here for extended periods of time when he wasn't running the trains back and forth. So he transferred to the Sea Post in 1910, and this was really a, a choice assignment, and mail clerks made, made a very good living off of this, so he was very excited. Uh, Oscar did marry his wife, Leela Bullard, about 18 months before he got stationed onto the Titanic. And again, they, they were living in Clifton, Virginia, when he, uh, he set sail on the Titanic and ultimately perished. As far as his Masonic history is concerned, of course, he was a member of Acacia Lodge Number 16. He was raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason in about August 30th, 1903. 
And he, interestingly enough, he was also a member of the Colipolis Grotto, uh, the Mystic Order of Veiled Prophets, uh, in Washington D.C. So that was these were, I believe, the only two Masonic dues card or, or legal Masonic information related artifacts that were recovered off of him. So we simply just don't know at this point if he was a member of any other appendant bodies, but he was very active in Acacia and the, the Grotto as well. As far as the, the Seapost clerks themselves, you know, moving, moving kind of closer to the story of the Titanic, uh, they were highly skilled and, and respected postal workers. Like I said, they were, they were the best of the best uh, because the Seapost was very much a, a choice assignment. Um, the men typically sorted more than 60,000 letters a day wow. keeping, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the opening scene of Men in Black 2 where, uh, where I know I'm dating myself on this reference, where, where Kay is just working in the, in the post office and all the aliens are sorting the mail. They, they did this very well and very efficiently, and their hard work actually allowed the mail to be delivered immediately and forwarded directly to other destinations at the end of a given voyage. So they, they had a span of time where the ship was in transit, where they were working almost nonstop getting the mail ready to go out to wherever it needed to go. And so it was a very important job. And as far as mail on the Titanic was concerned, it was, it was not an inconsiderable sum of mail. There were over 3,000 mailbags, 3,364 to be exact. Is that, that right? were, Yes, that were brought aboard the Titanic at three separate ports. So the, the largest one was in Southampton, England. And we'll talk a little bit about Southampton later uh, because they've done a lot to memorialize the victims of the Titanic. And we had about 1,800 bags of mail coming in from Southampton. Then we had Cherbourg, France, which was about 1,400. And then Queenstown, Ireland, which is about 200 sacks of mail. So the Titanic's, and one of the Titanic's main jobs as, as a royal mail ship was to transport mail. So it gives you some insight into why these clerks uh, fought so valiantly to try to save the mail to, to their own peril. So clerks checked the mail sacks and stored you know, the stuff that, that didn't require their attention on the voyage and as the Titanic set sail, of course, they, they went to work um, sorting the mail, distributing letters and packages into mailbags, according to, to something that we actually found on Oscar Scott Woody's body after, after the wreck that I'll talk about in a little bit called Facing Slips. And, of course, their, their goal really was to get the mail ready for dispatch as soon as RMS Titanic arrived in New York City. So, of course... Um, as I mentioned, you know, Oscar Scott Woody was born April 15th. That was also the day the, the Titanic sank. So at the point where the Titanic hit the iceberg, uh, the five postal clerks were actually celebrating Oscar Scott Woody's 41st birthday. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they were, they were in their private dining room when the Titanic crashed, and they, they immediately ran down to the mailroom and found that the starboard hold of the mailroom had actually already started to flood. So they immediately went to the highest priority mail first, and that was the registered mail cage. And they opened that, and they started to drag 200 sacks of registered mail upstairs to the upstairs decks to try to save it from, from flooding. And one of the mail clerks 
uh, John Richard Jago Smith, one of the Englishmen, was dispatched to the bridge to figure out what was going on. Of course, he he came back and said, "We're we're going down." And the the interesting thing about this story is that these these five men all died because of their profound dedication to their craft and their duty because they would not give up their their quest to save the mail on the Titanic. Uh, we have eyewitness we have eyewitness accounts of this actually occurring. There was a steward on the Titanic by the name of Albert Thessinger who actually assisted the clerks in their task before he saw the futility of it and, and gave up. And um, we actually have a, a direct quote from him that says, I urged them to leave their work. They shook their heads and continued at their work. It might have been an inrush of water later that cut off their escape, or it may have been the explosion. I saw them no more. So he, he implored them to to give it up and save themselves and they refused and ultimately all five men uh, who were assigned to the Titanic as Seapost clerks perished and um, actually only the bodies of Oscar Scott Woody and John Starr March were recovered from the wreck site due to to, uh, Oscar Scott Woody's body's poor condition it was actually buried at sea that's amazing it's uh, it's it's not often today that you find people with that level of dedication. Um, I know I know it's a little bit different, but I'd say it was uh, at least displayed well within the movie um, regarding to that with the uh, oh the men playing the uh, violins and stuff at the end where they just yep. went ahead and played that all the way through. Um, to see that level of dedication and respect to what you do um, is really unseen today and highly honored. Yeah, and as I was researching this, I was scratching my head because I was like, look, mail seems relatively trivial. And it wasn't until I started researching the history behind the RMS designator that I realized that the mail was the business of the Titanic. Being a a royal mail ship, which is a designator used since about 1840, it designated vessels that were under specific contract to carry British Royal Mail. And this was a very, very high and prestigious honor. So in, in a sense, one of the most important duties of the Titanic was to deliver the mail. And that gave me a little bit more context as to the importance of, of these men's craft and, and why they might be willing to, to die for it. So just, again, something really interesting that you find out when you, when you dig just below the surface. Definitely. You know, I, we, that's really something that we take for granted today with uh, communication being at our fingertips. Um, we have cell phones and email and everything with communication within the speed of light, really. Um, back then, at, at that point in time, mail was still a uh, major point of communication, and it was one of the only ways that people heard from each other. So, uh, yeah, to have the respect there, I, I can totally see that. But uh, that's that's amazing the lengths these men went through. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And I think what's what's crazier, to be honest, is the fact that we know enough about history to tell their story today. Right. And we we know that because of the personal effects they were able to recover off of Oscar Scott Woody's and, and John Marsh's bodies. So as far as Oscar Scott Woody was concerned, his body was recovered a week later. So it lay in the ocean for a week. And it was recovered by the cable ship Mackie Bennett, which was a ship 
contracted out by White Star Lines to recover the bodies, and that's you know pretty gruesome job for for Indeed. a ship. I, I wouldn't want that. So what happened was as as bodies were recovered from the Titanic, each body got assigned a number, you know, a sequential, and it. They stamped the number on their effects bag and put all their personal effects in, into that bag. So Oscar Scott Woody, being the 167th body pulled from, from the ocean, was, uh, had the, the effects bag stamped 167. And in it, we found uh, Woody's Ingersoll pocket watch, which was unfortunately very heavily damaged uh, by the seawater. His Masonic pocket knife, uh, two fountain pens... Uh, cufflinks as well as Woody's Masonic ring and a set of Titanic mail keys and chains which was really cool and then uh, $10 and and 2 cents but the real important pieces of historical knowledge that we've been able to gain from the effects recovered from Oscar Scott Woody were actually um, the things that he placed in his breast pocket. So he had a cork life vest on, which kept his his entire torso out of the water for a week to the wow. point where he, uh, he kept um, a number of perishable artifacts in his breast pocket, and we still have those today, which is absolutely incredible that they survived for that long first thing that he stuffed into his pocket were the the facing slips for the mail these were basically routing slips that he stamped with his name um, for quality control and so as he bundled mail and sorted mail he'd put a facing slip on the mail if it was to go to washington dc or to new york city or somewhere else and we have a, a set of about five or six of these facing slips um, that survived and they're they're the only known facing slips to to have survived the the titanic sinking which is really neat in and of itself you know something of personal importance to the grand lodge of virginia and acacia lodge was oscar scott woody's dues card from acacia definitely his his dues card was in his pocket as well as his grotto dues card, and those survived. Um, the only way we knew that Oscar Scott, uh, Oscar Scott Woody's body was that of Oscar Scott Woody was because of a letter to his wife that he had in his breast pocket. So just think, had, had he not had that, uh, that life vest or had something happened to, to that letter, we would not have this piece of Masonic history. We would have these artifacts, and we would have no idea who it was or, or what this story was. So it's, it's really, really cool to me to, to see how he took you know, special care to protect those things closest to him, even when he realized that he wouldn't make it himself. Because as as I mentioned before, you know, due to the the poor condition, you know, Woody's body was buried at sea, and and you could not tell who it was from from looking at it. Right. And that happened. And that happened April twenty fourth, nineteen twelve. So those are those are some really cool historical artifacts that uh, that we have from the the wreckage of the Titanic. I, and I say we, it's it's the royal we. They're kind of dispersed. Uh, across the country now, but but we can get to that in a little bit. Um, as far as Woody's wife was concerned, uh, she re she received the official notification uh, about August 1913 of of her husband's death. She she knew before that, but the official notification card that that you can see here was dated August 1913. 
they had they had been staying at their home in, in Clifton, Virginia, which is right down the street from the lodge. And she hastened to to stay in Washington, D.C. to await the news of her husband. And she actually ended up moving to D.C. and then, uh, I believe, out to Maryland by the end of her life. So she she never remarried and kept uh, Oscar Scott Woody's photograph by her side and, until she passed. And at the time of her death, all of Oscar Scott Woody's personal effects were transferred over to a brother who was a member of Perseverance Lodge Number 208 in Indian Head, Maryland, uh, with the intention that it would be presented to, uh, it would go to a museum, uh, probably for the Grand Lodge of Maryland. And at this point, we kind of lose track of, of these precious historical artifacts. So what I've been able to find from historical research is that whether they transited to the Grand Lodge of Maryland or whether they stayed at Perseverance Lodge, they were put in the basement and they were forgotten, completely and utterly forgotten in the lodge basement until 1998. It, it's think, amazing how that happens. Um, and, and that's one thing we, we can touch on too is uh, it's important to pass down that history and what you have within your lodge. Um, there's so much uh, within every lodge that's sitting away in these file cabinets or in these back closets and stuff that hold significant importance. And, you know, maybe one of the past masters know about it, but once they go on, no one else really knows what it is or what that story holds behind it. Which is, which is why for me, it's so critically important to document your Masonic history. Indeed. Scan, scan your records, you know, just find some way to pass that story on because once those members are gone who know it firsthand, you're never getting that history back unless it's been documented. So, of course, 1998, the items were rediscovered, thanks in part to Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet because James Cameron's film, The Titanic, was released in 1997 and encouraged a widespread renewed interest in the Titanic incident. So the, the effects bag was, was pulled out. And of course, like, like any good Masons, they looked at the effects and said, hmm, I wonder how much money we could get for these. <laughs> Again, great way to treat your Masonic history, right? Right. Um, so they, they, had it, uh, they took it to an, an auction house in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where they, they had the effects appraised. And at this point, uh, the facing slips and a lot of the non-Masonic Titanic effects ended up going to, to auction. Uh, the Grand Lodge of Maryland uh, kept a lot of the specific Masonic-related artifacts, like and a, and a couple of Oscar Scott Woody's fountain pens, as well as his uh, Masonic pocket knife, and um, of course his his dues cards. And um, you know, they, they stayed in, in the Grand Lodge of Maryland, and, and they're actually, uh, most of them are still there. Luckily for, for us in Virginia, Oscar Scott Woody's dues card has been loaned to the Grand Lodge of Virginia Museum in perpetuity uh, from the, the Grand Lodge of Maryland. So that's, and that's something that actually just happened recently, and that's a, an, an awesome example of two Grand Lodges working together to, to preserve Masonic history. Um, and we've, we've done a lot as far as Maryland, Virginia, and even North Carolina are concerned 
with commemorating and preserving the the story of Oscar Scott Woody. In in North Carolina specifically, remember uh, Woody's hometown was Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, the the North Carolina governor declared uh, November twenty third, two thousand three, as as Oscar Scott Woody Day for North Carolina. Uh, we had a commemorative envelope with cancellation stamp honoring Oscar Scott Woody in 2003. The uh, the post office in Roxboro was named the Oscar Scott Woody Post Office, and um, the Person County Museum of History in Roxboro actually has a small exhibit uh, dedicated specifically to to Oscar Scott Woody and the other member of uh, Person County who was on the Titanic, who who coincidentally survived. In Southampton, England, there's a plaque that's actually memorializing the five postal workers who gave their lives on the Titanic. And this the plaque is interesting because it's one of over 138 memorials and graves commemorating the Titanic disaster. But this specific plaque was made out of a spare propeller from the Titanic, which wow. was really cool. That is really cool. But, you know, the, the legacy of Oscar Scott Woody really doesn't stop there. Um, with Acacia Lodge in particular, going back, I was able to find a memoriam that the officers of Acacia Lodge wrote and published, um, commemorating the life and mourning the loss of, of the life of Oscar Scott Woody. And so Acacia's 19 April 1912 minutes reflect that they actually formed a committee to pay homage to Oscar Scott Woody. Uh, the charter was draped in remembrance of, of the fallen brother. And then they, they, wrote up a memoriam and had that printed in, in the Fairfax, Virginia magazine, the Fairfax Herald on May 5th, 1912. So, so news did travel very quickly about, about the Titanic. Um, you know, after the rediscovery of, of Woody's artifacts over, over the past decade and a half, um, particularly the fact that the Grand Lodge of Maryland was in possession of Woody's dues card, um, Brother William Bombeck, again, took great care in consolidating and preserving this piece of Masonic and Clifton community history. And we know much about Oscar Scott Woody's story um, in Clifton today that, that we do specifically because of William's efforts. So, you know, he is, he is kind of an unsung hero in, in my eyes of you know, Virginia Masonry just because of his willingness to, to go out on a limb and try to actively not only preserve Masonic history, but also celebrate it and, and commemorate it. To that point, he's done a lot of stuff here in Clifton to help us commemorate the story of Oscar Scott Woody. So in, in April 2009, My Lodge Acacia Lodge adopted a standing resolution that we honor Oscar Scott Woody at every single April stated. We bring a member of the Clifton Post Office in as a special guest, and then we, we give a, a benediction in honor of Oscar Scott Woody every single April, and William had a lot to do with that. The Clifton mayor uh, declared April 15th, 2009 as, as Oscar Scott Woody Day, and that was a proclamation that Brother William drafted. In April 2010, Acacia Lodge was able to actually present the Clifton Postmaster with a memorial uh, plaque that commemorated Oscar Scott Woody and his heroism. And again, Brother William had, had a whole lot to do with that. And then I mentioned this earlier in November 2011, with the help of, of Brother William and, and Masons from both Virginia and Maryland, the Grand Lodge of Maryland actually agreed to loan a precious Titanic artifact to the Grand Lodge of Virginia in perpetuity, and that was his dues card, 
just because it, it was the right and the brotherly thing to do. And that's something right. that that you don't see very often because it's such a precious, precious thing. And it's it's just an amazing account of brethren working together to to preserve legacy. Um, so, you know, Oscar Scott Woody's story has been told in the in the Postal Museum. Uh, the hundred anniversary, hundred year anniversary of the Grand Lodge of Maryland. They opened up their their museum with a special Titanic exhibit, and um, the story again lives on with the continued partnership of of the Grand Lodges of Virginia and Maryland, and and the the work of men like Brother William Bomback who who are focusing very very heavily on trying to preserve and celebrate our Masonic history. So the the good news is that uh, I mean there's a lot of good news here. Unfortunately, it was a it was a tragic story, but we we have the ability to remember that story and celebrate that story, and we can do that even here in in Acacia Lodge in our humble lodge, because we have uh, several ways of of several artifacts to to remember Oscar Scott Woody by, and they're they're actually both hanging up behind me. So the the first one we we do have an American flag that was flown over the U.S. Capitol building, um, in remembrance of Oscar Scott Woody at, at the request of one of our congressmen, and he um, actually gave that uh, gave that flag to us in 2009. It was flown over the Capitol on the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, April 15th, 2009, and we uh, we have that here hanging in the lodge today. That's amazing. The other. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely incredible the the generosity of of men who aren't even brothers and helping us remember you know a, a real hero of the community, exactly. and the, the the other absolutely amazing artifact we have is is we have an oil portrait of brother Oscar Scott Woody that was actually painted by his cousin um, Kay and Kay Cloninger. Um, so in December of 2012, when I was a, uh, a poor little entered apprentice and, and not able to go to the stated meetings, um, Kay and her family came up from Roxborough, North Carolina, and presented us with this original oil portrait in remembrance of Oscar Scott Woody. And it hangs right outside of our lodge room, and it keeps the Tyler company <laughs> at every meeting. And it's it's one way where we can have a, a constant remembrance of what it means to be a brother devoted to his craft. The the last thing we have, and, and I will plug this um, because it, it goes to benefit not only our lodge, but also the Grand Lodge of Virginia Museum, is uh, Brother William had uh, specific coins and uh, lapel pins made. And uh, I know you can't see this very well, but I, I did send you some pictures, so you can put those in later. And we actually have some of these left. They're, they're on order, and the proceeds will, will either go to, directly to Acacia Lodge or to the Grand Lodge of Virginia Museum. And William really is, is in charge of that fundraising effort. So if you're, if you're interested in, in those in particular, they're absolutely beautiful, and they're, they're one of a kind. Uh, go to www.oscarscottwoody.com and, and you can find them there. And that's that's the story of of one of the unsung heroes of the Titanic and someone who left a someone who by his legacy 
and by his dedication left a profound impact on masonry today and that we're going to be able to celebrate for years and years and years to come. Well, it's really an amazing story to hear and I appreciate you bringing that history to us and all the work of your brother that was able to preserve that and bring that back to life. Uh, kind of the odd thing is I came by this dues card online probably I don't know, six months ago. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I even saw the name of the lodge, and I'm sad to say I did not make that connection. Um, so when I talked to you about it and really I got to see that, it just sparked to life. So to hear this entire story behind it, it's it's awesome. I'm really soaking it up. It's it's some Masonic history that needs to be reserved, uh, preserved, I'm sorry, and uh, shared with the world. Uh, it's It's an amazing, impactful story. And we really appreciate you bringing that. I definitely encourage everybody to go and get one of those coins or pins. Um, keep that alive. Keep that with you and move that story along. Tell people about it and uh, get that history uh, going down the road. So thank you so much, uh, Brother Jason, for coming on today and sharing that with us. I want to give you a chance if you have any uh, final words or thoughts to us today and uh, any plugs you'd like to give. Oh, thank you very much, Alex. So... Um, you can find out more about Oscar Scott Woody on the website that, that William has set up, www.oscarscottwoody.com. There have been a bunch of articles written about Oscar Scott Woody, so if you just search for him on Google, you're going to find all sorts of stuff. I'd like to direct you to the Midnight Freemasons page because a good friend and brother of mine, worshipful brother Greg Knott, out in the Midwest, um, wrote a really great article on Oscar Scott Woody uh, during the uh, tricentennial celebration of the Grand Lodge of Maryland um, commemorating his death. So that's that's a really great place to go. Uh, if you all are interested in Masonic podcasts, and I know you are because you're listening to this great show, go ahead and, and check out the Masonic Roundtable. It's, it's another good show out there. It, it has a, a different feel than this one just because it's not focused solely on history. We kind of do a bit of everything and, and whatever touches our fancy. So go and, and check that out. If you have any further questions for me, go ahead and, and feel free to, to contact me directory or directly. Excuse me. My uh, my email address is acaciawm17 at gmail.com. So go ahead, and I'm happy to to answer any questions you have. And uh, I again want to want to thank Brother William Bombback for everything he's done to preserve this history and, and for his patience because he is. Uh, he is the walking encyclopedia on this, and I probably got some things wrong today, but uh, I will let him fact-check me, and then I'll come back to Alex and say, hey, these are, these are the things that, that I got a little, uh, a little wrong. And that's, that's, again, just what happens when you're trying to preserve and, and convey Masonic history. So that's all I've got, Alex. Thank you so much for letting me come on and share my story with your brothers. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope they enjoy it. Masonic history is everywhere, and it is your Masonic duty to cherish, preserve, and celebrate that history. And this is just one way that you can live up to your obligation as a Master Mason. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, even, even if there is a few things here and there that's not 100% correct, it gets the conversation started. So if you're able to add to that, definitely do. We want to hear it. We want to keep that conversation going. Um, again, Brother Jason, thank you so much for coming on. We want to extend that and have you thank your, your wife and family. I know you have a new baby lately, and uh, you're very sleep-deprived. So we, uh, <laughs> we definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time out to share this wonderful history with us. No, happy to do it. Thanks so much, Alex. Not a problem. We'll talk to you later, brother. You take care. All right, you too. 
Wow, what an amazing history. I definitely want to thank my brother and friend, Jason Richards, again for coming on the show and having that conversation with us. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk Masonic history with you brothers. Thank you again. Now, while on the topic of one of the hosts of the Masonic Roundtable, I want to give them a plug and a shout out as they have a pretty epic event coming up that they're still in the midst of planning. Uh, they are celebrating the 300th anniversary of the United Grand Lodge of England right here in the States at the George Washington National Masonic Memorial. It's going to be taking place June 23rd, 24th, and you can get tickets for that at their website, MasonicRoundtable.com slash 300. Now, I will have the full official announcement release they sent over um, on the website and on the social media page, so you can get more information to that there. Um, also, head over to their website, and you can find out more that way. But it sounds like it's going to be an amazing event. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes and how good it turns out to be. Uh, these brothers have done a lot for the craft, and I fully support them in their ventures. So definitely go check that out and get your tickets today. Now, we have also had a uh, Facebook challenge going on, so to speak. Um, I've sent out a challenge a while back for you to get out your camcorders, your cell phone, whatever you have, and record a short video of why did you join Freemasonry. So we got another reply in, and we're going to show that to you today. So I hope you enjoy. Let's jump over and see what this brother has to say. My brother, let me start by thanking Brother Alex Power for giving us this opportunity to share with each other our experience about our life in this fraternity, or even how we start, why we started and this wonderful experience of Freemasonry. My name is Angelo Mino. I'm from uh, Ecuador, South America, citizen of the United States. In my hometown, normally the father won't approach his sons and talk about Freemasonry. That is a role for the uncle of the father's best friend. Even then I'm the fifth or sixth generations of Freemason in my family, my experience is a little bit different and maybe controversial to some of you, my brothers. I hold it in my hands a book called El Nombre de la Rosa, The Name of the Rose. This is the book that opened my curiosity for Freemasonry. A person in Ecuador brought me this this book, the same person is the one who invited me to Amazonic dinner so I can meet other people that are part of the, this fraternity. This person gave me a tour around the lodge. Even this person allowed me to go into their preparation room. I'm telling you brothers, in South America, a preparation room it is a preparation room. It has so much Masonic content. Now that I am a Mason, I can understand all the things that I saw in this, in this room. Well, the controversial part is this. Due to my obligations, due to I am an American Mason, I cannot recognize this person as an actual Freemason. I cannot sit with this person in the lodge. I cannot have any Masonic intercourse with this person. I cannot share or we cannot share with each other or Masonic acknowledge. Yep, 
because my mentor was a female mason. In my hometown in Ecuador, like in other parts of Europe, uh, there are some uh, all-male masons, all-female, and also mixed lodges. This person was the worship master or one of the mixed uh, lodges, and uh, she is the one who gave me this book, and she is the one then before joining the lodge become my mentor. But still, she cannot be recognized as uh, my sister. She cannot be recognized as another member of a fraternity. But I really want to tell Dr. Margot Proano Miranda, thank you. You put me in the right path. You put me in the way to now enjoy this wonderful, wonderful fraternity, the Freemasons of America. Thank you to Brother Angelo Mino for sending in that video reply in the Facebook challenge. Now, for those of you that may not know, Brother Mino is actually my father-in-law and Masonic brother in the Lodge and is really a key reason of why I became a Freemason. So I definitely want to thank him for everything and all the support uh, through my venture and my travel through the craft thus far. Uh, he's a great brother. have a lot of respect and admiration for him. So thank you so much. Now, I want to keep this Facebook challenge up. I've got a few more in, so you'll see them on the next coming episodes. Uh, but please, take your video and send them in. We'll keep this going just as long as I keep receiving them. Uh, I think it's a great way for you to connect and really share your story of why you became a Freemason and uh, get the rest of the craft talking. So please, take advantage of it. Send in your videos today. We'd love to hear from you. But that will wrap up and conclude today's show. I can't wait to see you guys next time as we continue our quest for historical light. Hope you have a great day.